As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. The art of the pitch. Now, now, when we hear the pitch, we usually think of something like this. Something just came across my desk, John. It is perhaps the best thing I've seen in the last six months. If you have 60 seconds, I'd like to share the idea with you. You got a minute? Name of the company, Aerotine International. It is- and so today we're going to go over everything from the introduction. Hello, John. How are you doing today? You mailed in my company a postcard a few weeks back requesting information on penny stocks that had huge upside potential with very little downside risk. Does that ring a bell? To presenting the value to the customer. Your profit on a mere $6,000 investment would be upwards of $60,000. And of course, handling objections. The only real objection that they have is that they don't trust you guys. Why should they trust you? I mean, look at you. You're a bunch of sleazy salesmen, right? (laughs) So... What do you say? And while we, we probably can't make you sound like DiCaprio and we're 
definitely not doing boiler room style sales. Uh, we are going to go through the pitch and break down the essential elements that you need in order to pitch your product to potential investors, to customers, so that you can effectively communicate the value and close the deal. Welcome to Rocketship.fm, the podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales, and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Goldman. So today we're going to be talking all about the pitch and, and how, how to pitch, what to pitch, what are the elements of a pitch, and, and what makes a pitch effective. And even before we get into the elements here, uh, one of the most important parts of the pitch is, is to remember is you're having a conversation and in this conversation, you need to stay in control, stay level-headed. Here's Steli from Close.io. Sales is very related in entrepreneurship in the way that it is a wild roller coaster ride. You're kind of putting yourself out there every single day and you will get rejected and you will experience failure. There's no way around it, no matter how great you are at it. So you have to deal with the emotional side of the roller coaster at a much higher degree than many other people in other professions and environments. So I think mastering your own emotions is a key to success in life, but but also very directly a key to success in, in startups and sales. And a lot of times when we look at sales, it's a numbers game, uh, but we have to stay on all the time because we never know when we're pitching the person that could be a potential buyer. We may have to pitch 10, 15, 20 times before we get a sale, but that sale means everything. And that sale is is why we're continuing to come back every day. In order to to maximize our opportunity and optimize our opportunity, we need to optimize ourselves. And here's what Craig Wartman said about what makes a great sales person. The foundation of high performance selling and entrepreneurship is what I call the proper balance of knowledge, skill, and discipline. And if you think about those things, it's sort of relatively obvious. You go, Craig, of course, you know, we all have to have knowledge, we have to have skill, we have to have discipline. Here's the thing. Most entrepreneurs and actually most professional salespeople have too much knowledge. And I know that sounds crazy, but let me just clarify this. So what I what I don't mean is get dumber. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is entrepreneurs by nature, we are passionate, we're enthusiastic, we love our product. We built this company for a reason. I want to tell you all about it. And what happens is I over manifest knowledge. So I pour it all out and I'm, you know, 45 minutes into it and you're looking to be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. And what we always say to entrepreneurs is you've got to think as long and as hard about the skill and the discipline you're bringing to these customer interactions as what you know, your knowledge. Right. So going hand in hand with a great salesperson comes a great sales pitch. Michael, what are the elements that you see in a great sales pitch? I mean, the elements are really similar to a cold email, right? And But even before the elements, I think one of the most important parts of the pitch is listening. And so as you, you're, you're talking, you're discussing your product, you're discussing the solutions, um, but the whole time a great salesperson is listening and trying to identify the pain points so that they can actually craft their pitch on the fly to that to the person that they're talking to. So it sounds like a great salesman listens more and talks less. 
Absolutely. Kind of contrary to to what we often see, um, a great salesperson has to be able to think on the fly and, and is always listening and paying attention. And listening may not be verbally listening, but it may be picking up on body cues. It may be picking up on things that are happening in the room. And how do you work that room to your advantage? I mean, guys, we don't need a book to tell us this. What's the key to every relationship? Any relationship, personal, professional. Yep. Trust. Yep. And salespeople, you know, when salespeople are not good listeners or they over-manifest knowledge, they, they, actually, they actually destroy trust instead of build it. So, Michael, if you're, if you're crafting your sales pitch, what elements are you going to put in there? Right. So the first thing you want to do is kind of warm up the room. It may be on a phone call. It may be in person. But you want to get a feel for how they are approaching this, this conversation. And so you can play to that. So if they're standoffish, you know you're going to have a little bit to overcome and you're going to have to really win them over. If they're very open and they're very excited, you may be able to jump to the value faster because they might be open, ready, and receptive for it at that point. So the second step is painting the picture. So you want to present the problem that you solve in an emotional way. So you want to put them into the problem. And this is where you can really test if they have it or not. You know, if, if I was selling business cards, I might talk about, how it's embarrassing to give a potential client a bad feeling business card. It might be too thin, it looks cheap, and the embarrassment that that causes. Then you want to present your advantages, how you make people feel, and what you can do for them. So you want to outline your solution, why it's better, and show that you understand the market. You understand what they may be currently using, and this is why if they go with you, it'll be improved. It's always great here to have a case study or a story that you often tell about someone who switched over to your solution, the difference it made in their business or in their life. It makes it very relatable. It also builds trust uh, so that they know that other people are using your software and having success. And then the last part you want to be ready is to open it up for questions. And, and this is essentially where you'll get your objections. And you want to have your key objections you want to have a response for them ready. You want to know how you could overcome those objections. So as you're talking to people, you'll hear the same questions and concerns come up over and over. And what you want to do is open up a doc, write them down, and craft responses for each one so that you know how to handle it each time. And that also, so you can pass that on to your rest of the, your team. It may be, these may be indications of you know, features that need to be built. And it may be simply a better way to present the product the first time that they see it. The objections are probably the hardest part to deal with. So we have some great advice from Mel Gordon and Craig Wartman coming up. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Now, designing your pitch is one thing, and 
any good salesperson can can craft that and deliver that many times over. But what separates a good salesperson from a great salesperson is the ability to react to everything outside of your design pitch. Every time you have a new conversation, something new may be thrown your way. And having the flexibility to react to that, listen, take in the information and respond by by keeping the sale going is really what separates a good from a great. You know, Joelle, I don't know if I agree with that. No. I was joking. Oh, over my head. <laughs> and so Mel Gordon had a great clip on handling objections, especially dealing with phone calls. Yeah, objections are hard, right? A, a newer salesperson has often not uh, come up <laughs> with a lot of objections. Uh, that could be on pricing or competition or honestly, the biggest one is I'm busy right now. Call me back. Right. I mean, right. the first objection any salesperson will come across, especially over the phone and on inside sales is um, it's not a good time. And I, you know, when I get on the sales floor and, and help some of our sales managers and leaders here, I mean, no one ever has time. It's never a good time. <laughs> so that's objection number one. OK, so, so, so how do you do, say say that yeah. you, you just called me on the phone and and you want to pitch me and I say that, that Mel, you know, appreciate the call. I like what you guys are doing. It's just not a good time. Yep, absolutely. So the biggest thing is you have about, especially in, on the phone, you're you're catching someone uh, most likely that they've answered is the person you need to talk to, at least in our case, in a lot of cases, right? If you're calling a bar owner or a real estate agent, a lot of times they're the ones answering the phone. And so you're catching them right in the middle of something and they're typically answering the phone because it could be an employee or a vendor question or whatever else it is. And you're probably the fifth or 10th sales call they've gotten of the day, right? Um, So you have to be able to pique their interest in literally 15 to 30 seconds. Um, And so piquing their interest, saying who you are, um, where you're calling from, the reason for your call, um, and then gaining permission to continue the call. But a lot of that finesse and art comes with knowing what your value proposition is for your product. Mm -hmm. And that's the hardest part. People don't understand how to pick up the phone and actually speak (laughs) words out of their mouth. (laughs) <laughs> that offer value right. to the other person on the other end of the line. And it's it's hard, right? This is hard stuff. It sounds simple, but um, it takes a lot of trial and error to be able to nail that entire cycle. Mm-hmm. So Craig Wortman had a great quote when we spoke with him that I've that, that I've really taken to heart. And that is, low performers answer an objection, high performers encourage and question, which again goes back to listening and helping try and solve a problem rather than trying to get every word of your pitch out. You know, if you look at the research of high performing sales, there's a, there's a five step process for how high performers um, handle objections. And it's different and distinct from how low to moderate performers handle objections. And here's the distinction. Just like we drew a distinction between entrepreneurial and professional selling, here's the distinction between low performers and high performers. Here's what low performers do. And we all do this, myself included. We, I catch myself doing this routinely. When a low, let's say you're my customer, let's say we, you know, you're my potential customer, let's say we're three meetings in, and you're digging me and you're digging my entrepreneurial deal. And, but I sort of say, Michael, you know, uh, here's the expense. It's $112,000 to do this. And you kind of go, oh my God, right? Because in the run up to these conversations, I didn't tip my card. You didn't know how much this was, right? I didn't tip my cards. And so you kind of go, you know, the classic most common objection in all of life is you're too expensive. 
So you lean across the table and you say, Craig, wow, you know, I like you, I like your company, I like its product, but my God, I had no idea. Like, we, uh, we don't have that money. Right? We don't have 112000 Well, what is that? Not, I always say to my students, my, my, my clients, that's not a no, that's an objection, right? So here's what a low performer does. A low performer says, Michael, I understand. Let's back up for a second and let's look at the ROI. So if you back up, Michael, and you think about this as an ROI against all the other projects that you're prioritizing and all the other money that's spent in your budget, I think what you'll agree, and I go through my ROI model, right? I run it, I whip out a slide, I you know, take a back of an envelope and I draw out the ROI model, and it's a beautiful thing and it justifies 112,000. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. Nothing wrong with that. But here's the distinction. Low performers answer the objection. High performers, they do what I call sitting down into the objection. There's actually five steps to handling objection, not one. Answering the objection is actually step four. Step one of handling an objection is, you know, and I'm, I'm patting myself on the back because I get to be the, the high-performing salesperson now. But you say, oh my God, Craig, 112000 Wow, you know, I don't have that in my budget. First thing I do is encourage. And I say, Michael, totally fair. Tell me more about that. Is it that your budget is completely spoken for? Are you surprised at the expense? Or is it something else? Or is it a combination of these things? So I, I encourage you, right? right? And you know what, Michael? I may know what the issue is, but a high performer, even if he or she knows what the issue is, always does the first two steps, which is encourage and question. Often those two are collapsed together, like I just demonstrated. So I said, you know, tell me more, Michael. That's my encouragement. And then I followed it right with a question. You know, is it a, is it a question of priority, Michael? Is it something else? And I sort of probe a little bit. So encourage and question is steps one and two. Even if you know exactly what you're thinking, right? I encourage and question. That allows you, as my customer, to be heard, which is a huge deal. It's called listening and hearing, right? We try to train salespeople to be better listeners. And it encourages you to unspool some of the decision-making angles on this thing. Even though they may be simple, they may be complex, they may be somewhere in between, doesn't matter. It lets you get it out a little bit, okay? So now, let's just play this out. You and I do a little back and forth. You know, I clarify a little bit. I'm like, okay, so Michael, that, that point you just made, does that mean that Joelle has to be involved and it's actually coming from her budget? Or, and I clarify, and we go back and forth for a minute or two, right? Then I do what good listeners do. If you look at the competency called listening in a, in a competency manual, what you'll find is listeners often do what's called the confirm. And this is the third step of the handling objections process. It's confirm. So encourage, question, confirm. I say to you, you we've done this back and forth. You've answered you know, some of my questions. You've given me some color. And I say, Michael, I think I got it. So here's, it sounds like here's what's happening. You've got seven other priorities. They've sucked up all your budget. And, and not to mention 112,000 is, is expensive and there's just no way it's going to fit into your budget right now. Do I, do I hear you correctly? And then I shut my mouth because all good things happen when you shut your mouth and it's called the confirm. And you say, you know, if I'm reasonably intelligent and I did a reasonable job of playing back what your objection was, you go, yeah, that's it, Craig. And now and only now do I do what low performers do immediately, which is I answer the question. I say, Michael, totally understood. Thank you so much for sharing all that context with me. 
let's step back and look at the ROI of this. And let me just help you think this through. You may agree with what I say, you may disagree, that's okay. But let me walk you through this. I walked you through my ROI model. You may agree, you may disagree. There's probably something in, you know, a space in between where you go, eh, you know, I'm mildly convinced, but not all the way there, Craig, right, whatever. And then I do what's called the check, which is the fifth and final step of a good handling objections process, which is I just check. I check to see whether we can move on. I say something like, and you get, you know, some of this stuff you got to find your own style on as a salesperson, but I just say, you know, my habit is to say something like, Michael, this is been really helpful. Hopefully I've given you some ways of thinking about the money here and ways that you could possibly fit into your budget. You may agree, you may disagree. Do you have more concerns about this or should we move on? And what I'm trying to say in a graceful way is, are we stuck here or can we keep moving with my sale? That's what I'm actually saying, but I'm doing it with more grace. So last point I'll stop is there is a huge delta between how high performers do this and how low performers do this. And, and one, one more time for the record, this is hard to do. It's hard to stop and listen when you know the answer, not to mention you've heard this objection 900 times this week from buyers. And so it's hard not to just jump right to, oh my God, here it comes again. Michael's gonna object to my 112,000 and I'm just gonna answer his question. But you know what? Confidence, credibility, trust, is earned in steps one, two, and three, not step four. That's the key. So now we, we wanted to try something a little bit different here. We wanted to actually walk you through a real scenario of a phone call. So here we have a mock phone call uh, of Joel selling Churnbuster to me. And we're going to kind of talk through the different elements of the sales call to break down what it might sound like in real life. So here we go. Hello. Michael, it's Joelle from Churnbuster. How are you? Oh, hey, Joelle. I was expecting your call. Is now still a good time? So the first thing you want to do right off the bat, pretty simply, is just confirm or ask permission, in a sense, for some of this person's time. tell me about what you guys are doing? Yeah, so we have a... So I wanted to start off by getting Michael to do some talking. Uh, we've been yeah, as a customer, it always feels good to talk, talk about yourself. Everyone loves talking about yourself and to get some adrenaline flow in a positive direction for the rest of the conversation. Um, and to to genuinely listen and learn about about what their problems are so that I can determine if we are a good fit for them. And so I'm charged internally with finding a good solution for us. Because if we're not, I don't want to be selling him something that he doesn't need. It's a big problem for recurring revenue businesses. Um can you tell me, Michael, about how many customers pay you each month? So we have about 1,500 recurring customers, and we're growing about... So at this point, what I want to do is get an idea of how big of a problem this really is for, for Michael and his company, and also kind of gauge the size of the company to see, again, kind of the scale of the problem and, and what we're working with here. gut right now. Um, we don't have all of our stats ready, but uh, we know... We, we, we feel like there is a significant amount that we're potentially losing each month. Sure. And, and we can help you figure out that exact number pretty easily. 
And so Joel's kind of adding value here, building trust, which makes it a little bit easier for me to answer some of these hard questions. So we have three tiers. Um, we have a $50 a month. We have a four ninety nine. And here we've kind of established a relationship. And so, you know, I'm willing to, to give up a little bit of information to find out if this is a good fit for me. $1,000 a month. Got it. So it looks like you may be leaving a significant portion of money on the table. And here starts the pitch. Yeah, if we lose one of those those higher-end customers, um, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely hurts. And, and just to, to help you think about the math in a, a different way, everything we do looks forward. It's and another great thing to do throughout this kind of information mining process while I'm digging for some answers here is to just offer bits of help to Michael. Uh, you know, there may be some little things here or there that we can help him figure out whether or not he becomes a customer. And I'm, perf- and I'm perfectly happy doing that and helping him see, you know, see his business from a different angle. And maybe if it's not right now, it may be right later. And now I've provided some nice above and beyond service for him. LTV of your customers is going to be much, much higher than if you were to kind of sweep this problem under the rug or try and solve it in a, a half-hearted way on your own. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let me tell you a little bit about how we solve the problem. And at any point along the way, feel free to jump So in. now she has me thinking about the problem the way that they do. She's having me realize that, you know, the enormity of this problem, and I'm actually focused on it at this moment. And now she's introducing their solution. Technology has advanced a lot and Stripe has come a long way in terms of um, adding things like the automatic card updater. And so they can actually fix a lot of these problems before they even become problems. So as the conversation goes on, what I want to do is help Michael uh, do a few things. The first is to start thinking about the problem the way we do, which is looking towards the future and getting him uh, excited about the fact that he's going to be able to help retain more money for his company and help his company actually grow by making some smart decisions now. So really what I'm doing is twofold. It's getting him on board with this way of thinking and it's building excitement because who doesn't want to make more money? We give them an opportunity to update their credit card. And we do that by giving you a page where they can, a secure page where they can go without having to log in and they just update their credit card right there. So again, what we try and do is take away any friction point there may be from updating these cards. Okay. Yeah, that seems a little strange um, that someone else would be calling our customers on behalf. Um, So I would definitely be a little bit hesitant. What I can do is actually send you a recording of her. You know, there's going to be certain things or features uh, that may be optional about your product or service that some people are going to get really excited about and others aren't. We've been considering just doing this in-house. So that's kind of the the alternative option. Um, What's the cost if I go with, with you guys instead? You know, the the reason it makes And this is one of those questions that you just want to have an answer for because no matter what you're doing, you're probably going to hear it. Recovery rates better and better. And even the difference in... If you know your ROI and your your product is priced right, you really shouldn't have a a problem presenting your value um, and justifying your value to a potential customer. Could actually mean a lot of money, Um, but based on your numbers and our experience with companies like this, fifteen hundred dollars a month would 
would likely be And so there, Joel presented very clear numbers about how much I could be saving or how much of a hero I'll be to my company if I use Churnbuster. Uh, so we're, we're always very cautious. Uh, we, we count every penny. Um, and 1500 it, it could be a little high for us. Um, what, what does the trial look like? What am I committing to if I do that? Well, there's no... And rarely will you not get a negotiation on pricing. So it's always good to just be ready for a slight negotiation or a definite objection. You're never going to be paying us more than you make. You're always going to be coming out ahead. And we're going to report very, very transparently with you. So now moving towards the end of the conversation, uh, Joelle is reiterating the value. She is kind of giving us that next action and making sure I have something to agree to. Would it be possible to get started on that trial uh, with that amount? You know what, Michael? I'm so confident we're going to crush it for you guys. And I'm so excited to... With a slight negotiation, we can always make a deal. And so here... We've established the next step, and she's telling me exactly what I need to do um, to follow through. Your Stripe account, and we'll get all of your emails. And just like that, we've walked through, you know, the basics of a sales phone call. And really, it's not that hard, right? I mean, any of us can do this. It's it's really about being able to have that discipline to follow through over and over and over again. And finally, we'll, we'll leave it off here today. Uh, with this clip from Mel Gordon about what she looks for in a salesperson because uh, this is really what it takes to be successful. So the types of traits, you know, we look for is um, competitive, a lot of grit, discipline to come in day in and day out, right? I mean, I w- tell our team this all the time and even new hire sales is the hardest job you'll ever have. And the highs are high and the lows are low and there's not a lot of in between. So you really have to look for people that have character around being able to ride the roller coaster on a daily basis. Uh, those that can't, you know, typically uh, they, they don't last long and they fall off. <laughs> right. So if you haven't yet, just go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts because we're going to continue. We've got a couple more episodes left in this series. The next time we're going to talk about closing. So closing the deal. Once you you are in the conversation, it's going the right way. How do you get them to say yes, right? That's the question we're all asking. So we're going to dive into it here in just a week. If you haven't yet, leave us a review. Just consider it your support for the show. It helps us out so much. So please, iTunes, Google Play, wherever, just leave us a quick note and tell us that you love what you're doing or where you don't. Big thanks to our sponsor today, Pipedrive. If you go to pipedrive.com forward slash rocket ship, you'll get two months free. So, so go ahead, jump onto that. It's a fantastic tool for small sales teams with big ambitions. I would love to hear what you think of kind of the new format. You can hit us up on Twitter at RocketShipFM. Shoot us an email, uh, team at RocketShip.FM. If you haven't checked out the new site, go to RocketShip.FM. Uh, it's all pretty straightforward. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Saka, and you can follow Joel at Joel Goldman. So we'll see you here. We have another fantastic interview on Sunday, so make sure you don't miss it. We're talking all about sales, so we'll see you in just a couple days.